Hey guys, my dad taped the OC finale. It was weird though. When I turned it on, it was like some odd avant-garde porn or something. Shit, hold on. weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store back where it says horror videos and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the video nasties are you freebasing inquiring minds want to know i have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick incrustations dying on the surface what the prime time gets And welcome to the It Slays Podcast. I'm your humble host, Rowan. It's Exilia. And I'm Dr. Nick Riviera Mike. And we are back. It is the year of our Lord, October 5th. Uh, we are getting into October Fest. The year of our Lord, October 5th. <laughs> what? That doesn't even make that didn't sense. Make sense. I, it sounded good in my head, and then it just, as typical Rowan fashion, just ruined it. Okay, to be fair, in 2021, a month feels like a goddamn year. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's day, just too October, much. The, the year of October 5th. The year the of month, October 5th. The month of October 5th. The month of the 5th of the year of October of the century of 2021. <laughs> all I'm saying. So, we are here... We are doing The Ring from a year I did not write down. 2002. 2002. Jeez, Rowan was high school in it. I was in grade seven, so you would have been in grade nine. Grade nine. Yeah. Great year. I was a fetus. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Silence everywhere. <laughs> Crickets. So yes, 2002 The Ring, directed by... He seems to have many names. I think it's Gore Verbinski. Gore Verbinski is what he goes by, but his real name is like Gregory or... I also saw Justin. Greg Vino. I have never like heard him referred to as anything but Gore Verbinski. Well, when I Wikipedia to him, Gore is not his actual name. It's like his nickname. Yeah, but that's what he's credited I, as. Maybe his name's Gordon. <laughs> Gordon, maybe. Who's, let's just spend the whole podcast <laughs> trying to... Speculating. Speculate. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, let's... Uh, before we get into it, I do have a question. Okay. That was a good, awkward transition. <laughs> So, I want to know, has there ever, in your younger years, I don't think it really counts now, has there ever been, like, a movie on cassette that's kind of like a cult classic or something that you weren't allowed to watch that you watched when you were younger that maybe your parents wouldn't want you to have seen or that maybe you shouldn't have seen young and that you watched with friends or yourself and hopefully you lived to tell the tale. And we'll start with Mike. Mike's raising his hand like we're in class. Okay, I know you're expecting, like, of some scary movie. Listen, my parents let me watch whatever I want from a very young age. Or, I guess let is probably not the correct term. But they resigned themselves to the fact that I was a very precociously, like, headstrong child in what I wanted to consume in terms of media. I read what books I wanted to read. I read what comics I wanted to read. I watched what TV I wanted to read, listened to whatever music I wanted to listen to, watched what movies I wanted to watch, and I would find a way to do it, and they couldn't do anything about it. So I think they just sort of resigned themselves. The one thing, so I watched, you know, obviously, as we've talked about many times in this podcast, whatever horror movies and action movies and whatnot from a very young age. I had a TV in my bedroom. I watched cable all the time at all hours. I'd stay up. I'd put a towel under my at my bedroom door so they wouldn't see the like light flashing from me having the TV on with no volume. The one thing I did watch on a video cassette when I was young that I the only thing that they would have had a problem with was a porno that one of my friends down the street <laughs> lent me <laughs> at a sleepover and I never gave back. I can't remember what it was called, but it was, like, the first porn I ever watched, and it was, like, Ugh. and it was cursed. So, I'm pretty sure everybody that started in that porn is now, like, dead or maimed in a ditch somewhere. So. Jesus. Uh, how about you, Exilia? Yeah, I'm the same. Like, I've never... There was, like, one movie for a period of time when I was in elementary. My parents didn't want me to see Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. That's the only movie they've ever, like, been like, no, I don't really want you to watch that. And I've seen bits and pieces, and it's very boring. But, yeah, same with me. Like, the only movies that they really, like, probably didn't want me to watch are, like, porn. That's reasonable. It seems like it's really going porn-centric. <laughs> well, like... <laughs> so I actually have... Like four answers for this. Really, that's interesting. So, oh my god! Of I course you do. You're like, I have not one, not 
three, but seven answers for my own question. <laughs> well, this is like bizarre because yes, as I've talked about many times, my mother like raised me on horror movies. So I mean, I, literally, I could watch almost anything. It's really bizarre things that I wasn't allowed to watch. So number one, uh, and I feel like for some reason I feel like we've talked about it before on the podcast but the first one would be A Clockwork Orange so my mom always told me that I had to wait till I was older to see it because I wouldn't appreciate it if I saw it so young and of course okay so she was like talking from an art criticism right yeah perspective for for that film and and obviously like so what do you do like me and yeah me and my friends like go rent it at a video store and watch it behind her back, of course. And I mean, I still love it to this day. So the second is a really kind of random one, which is my mom had a VHS copy of Excalibur. I don't know if anyone is familiar with that movie it was like a like a cheesy like it's like a medieval movie from the 90s and i just remember she always was like you you can't watch that (laughs) and i don't know why but what i used to maybe it got taped over (laughs) (laughs) well what i used to do is she would let's say she was at work or something And I would sneak into her bedroom and put it in the VCR and I'd play and I'd like watch portions of it. And that's kind of like how I saw it. And then like if I heard her coming home, I'd like put it back in (laughs) where she kept her VHSs and run out of the room. Don't you think she would know someone has played it? I Maybe she didn't watch that much. I don't even remember that movie, so... I don't know how great that movie was. I said I had four examples, but I think I only have three. Okay, I think I, So the other one was also Saving Private Ryan. I remember my, my- They thought- My parents thought it was too realistic. Yeah, I, I don't get it. My parents did the same thing where they're like, oh no, like, it's way too realistic and, like, disturbing. Which is weird, because, like, we watch the news- <laughs> And yeah, uh, I mean, we're never, we're like, never, period, <laughs> period. And we're, you know, spoiler alert, because we're never going to review Saving Private Ryan unless we're talking about the horror of how terrible of a movie it's, it is. It's just very boring. It's terrible. There's like 8 million better war movies. Yeah, way better war movies than Saving Private Ryan. I, I only hate that movie. Thin Red Line, cough, cough, cough. Yeah, I mean. Thin Red Line is like my all time favorite war movie. I Casualties only- of War. I mean, like, literally, I could fart out a better war movie anyway yeah paulie shore in the army in the army now yes hello laurie petty like this fucking legend saving private ryan didn't even have laurie petty in it what's the point (laughs) (laughs) i only really like war movies when they're like set in vietnam so you're just like full on full metal jacket like oh yeah a hundred hundred percent how could you not be? I mean, listen, aside from the one unfortunately perpetuated in meme and song form racist moment from that movie, it is literally genius. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, yeah, that was my question. I thought it was fitting for this episode yes, of creepy funny. tapes. <laughs> Yeah, well, see, like, here's the thing. Some of us had parents that were, like, literally so out of touch with pop culture. They didn't know anything. All they ever do is listen to AM radio and watch the news and nature shows, and that was it. So, like, like, they didn't know what even was happening in the world, like, of culture to tell me what 
I couldn't, couldn't watch. Like, again, it was like porn. We know porn's a thing because, you know, (laughs) obviously they had consumed it. So they're like, no. So that was it. I had like, y'all's folks were like at least, you know, entrenched in pop culture to a degree. Are you, uh, are you venting some childhood trauma here? All we ever do is vent childhood trauma. Like this is our lives. That's actually what this podcast is about. I feel like anybody with a podcast or anybody who... Uh, critiques movies, i.e. anybody who writes about movies, is literally perpetually reliving and venting about and processing childhood trauma. It's funny. Tell me, tell me one person who isn't and I will eat cardboard. <laughs> I was on the a video chat with one of my best friends today, Madeline, and she was talking about how her mom never let her dye her hair. So she's never dyed her hair before. And I was like, as someone whose mom took them to get a tattoo when they were 12, like, yes. I've had my hair dyed when I was I'm thinking of you and how literally the first day I ever met you, you had lavender colored hair. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. That was before she met me. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that purple haired girl. (laughs) That purple haired girl in the kids section that didn't do her job. I did not say that, but anyway, I digress. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Listen, you're my fam. Don't even go there, okay? <laughs> so I think it's time uh, Exilia hits us with that letterbox bio. Oh, yes. Let me tell you about it. Okay. Before you die, you see. That's one sentence. That doesn't really make sense, but okay. It sounded like just another urban legend. A videotape filled with nightmarish images, leading to a phone call foretelling the viewer's death in exactly seven days. As a newspaper reporter, Rachel Keller was naturally skeptical of the story until four teenagers all met with such a tape. Oh, wait, no. All met with mysterious deaths exactly one week after watching just such a tape. Allowing her investigative curiosity to get the better of her, Rachel tracks down the video, dot, 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 and watches it. (laughs) (laughs) Now she has just seven days to unravel the mystery of the ring. Okay, I see so many problems with this bio. First of all, she didn't even know about the tape prior to the deaths. And it's not just four random teenagers. One of them's her fucking, like, niece. And it was all of their friends. Yeah. Also, this is a really long and awkwardly (laughs) written bio, but okay. Okay, letterbox. Okay. More or less. uh, Are these, like, user submitted or what? Probably, I would imagine. I was also just thinking, what happens when we show our kids this movie someday or, like, they watch it and they're like, what the fuck are they putting in that TV? (laughs) (laughs) It's a videotape. It's not even a DVD. Not even a DVD. I mean, I'm just saying, was 2002 really that long ago? It was pretty long ago. Yeah, but it'll be, like, like a curiosity. Like, when, you know, we would watch a movie where it was, like, someone from, like, the 40s or 50s, like calling the operator and her taking out the, like, switch and putting it in another one, you know what I mean? It's like, you you can't comprehend it at all because it's never happened to you. And, you know, but, like, you look at it and go, oh, wow, I'm glad that I didn't have to live through that time. (laughs) They'll be looking at that and going, I'm glad I didn't have to put a fucking giant goddamn, like, eight-inch piece of plastic in a huge metal thing on a huge glass concoction to watch a goddamn movie. That's gonna kill me, you know? (laughs) Yeah, minor details. So, I'm bringing back quickly the only segment that me and Mike like. We have to talk about two people in this movie. Oh, no. Number one... Naomi Watts, Rachel. Legend, icon, 
Um, queen of everything. Yes, you're right. Unlike Troll 2, we actually have someone we know and has been in other movies. It's someone that we know and love. Exactly. Is she not like an Oscar award winner? You're like, oh, this is... Yes, this is, this is, is a woman now. who has won every award in the planet. Like, <laughs> Well, and interesting enough, I thought it'd be interesting to bring up that when Gore Verbinski made this... He said he wanted the cast to be relatively unknown, which really she was she pretty unknown yeah. when this came out. Yeah, she would have been. Yeah, that. she'd been doing like indie stuff. Like, I mean, I think of the first time I saw her in something and, you know, to me, one of her best roles. And it was obviously Mulholland Drive. Obviously. She was nobody when she did that. Yeah. Like yeah. literally nobody. A lot of the times. So this I is really just a few, few short years later. Yeah. Well, a lot of times I think of think of her i think of i heart huckabees which been would have been around this time and i think she was like relatively indie indie darling yeah and i mean really like um that was an indie movie yeah the cast had a couple of really heavy hitters in it like but Jude like yeah but i mean it was still it was still a very much like a you know one of those kind of uh movies that has a couple of heavy heavy hitters in the cast who you know it still flies under the radar and if you ask most casual moviegoers did you see i heard huckabees they're gonna say are you having a stroke right now (laughs) yeah they've never heard of it and you know i said to exilia the universe just smiles upon us there's only really one other actor we have to talk (laughs) about in here that plays i quote male teen number one so oh, is, I'm waiting for this. I've, uh, I've been, like, getting wet waiting for you to mention mm, this. This contributes to how this podcast is actually just a cover for an OC appreciation podcast. Yes! <laughs> we get an Adam Brody, Adam Brody appearance. Literally, my first two notes, number two is Adam underscore exclamation point exclamation point. <laughs> I don't understand. It's really quite interesting how this podcast is about horror movies, but the OC can pretty much be like, you know, like tied back to almost every movie we watch. Even when there's nobody in it who has anything to do with the OC, we somehow find a way to like six <laughs> degrees of separation every movie. And that's the new theory. Um, also, side podcast number 972, six degrees of separation from the OC. The OC is... <laughs> Who was that about? Who? Channing Tatum? No. What? Who was one of Kevin those? Bacon! Channing Tatum! Oh my god! <laughs> anyway, I was gonna say Carol Channing. Um, <laughs> so, yes, we need to do a side podcast how every movie is six degrees of separation away from the OC. Yes. I'm convinced. That would be brilliant. I'm gonna write a book. <laughs> Sidecast 11,026. Yeah. I was gonna say, also interesting, a heavy hitter from Gore Verbinski but kind of left horror after this and just went on to make parts of the Caribbean movies. Oh, that's the same person. We love a good movie series based on a theme park ride. (laughs) Although he did return to form. I saw that I didn't know he was the guy that directed A Cure for Wellness, which I haven't seen, but I know is like a critical darling and sounds like something I'd be into, but uh, I had never seen it. Uh, Well, let's get into our first experiences with this film. Is it the first time we have seen it? 
or heard about it. Uh, let's start with you, Exilia. So I've seen this movie several times, like quite a few times, I would say. I can't quite pinpoint the first time I ever saw it, but it was when it first came out. And I think like there were these two best friends that I had at the time and we'd always watch, one of our things would be like movies, watching movies. And um, I think that's probably who I saw it with, but yeah. How about you, Mike? Um, I had seen it... Uh... Roundabout, you know, when it first came out, shortly thereafter, and honestly, it was one of those that, like, I thoroughly enjoyed when I originally saw it, but for some weird reason, I never saw the sequel. I was actually gifted the original Japanese novel that, you know, the series was based on. I was really excited to read that, and it got lost in my, like, bajillion books that I always would buy throughout my whole life. <laughs> Somehow it kept getting pushed to the bottom of the pile. And I was like, I, I always think about it, like, every couple of years I'll think, of it, like, oh my god, The Ring. I need to go back and rewatch that. Like, the cast was great, it was a really good movie, and I just never got around to rewatching it. So, like, it's been one of those that, you know, I, I've really wanted to revisit and see if it was as good as I remembered it being. So I really enjoyed that. That, that, that was one of our choices for this year because, uh, you know, it's one of those movies that I, I it always keeps bubbling to the surface in my memory of something that, like, uh, I, I wanted to revisit and just for whatever reason have never gotten around to, like, channeling the energy to revisit. So here we go. I yep. kind of, so I've seen it several times, but it was in a short couple year period, if that makes sense. I mm -hmm. haven't seen it for probably... 15, 16, 17 years. Yeah, and I'm probably in the same boat. Like, I, I never saw this in the theater. I remember seeing it, like, when it first came out on VHS at that time. And, uh, like Exilia said, like, I remember seeing this at, like, birthday parties and, like, sleepovers and, like, just stuff like that, like... People were always watching this movie. I remember, like, enjoying it yeah. when it came out. I didn't know anything at that time. Like we said earlier, like, I was only in grade nine. Like, I didn't know there was a Japanese film of it before. I didn't know that the Japanese film was based on a Japanese book. I'm actually just finding out that it's based on a book. <laughs> Right <laughs> yeah, and uh, but it's funny because there were, what, two American versions. There was like a sequel to this, which, by the way, I never saw. There, there was two sequels. Oh, okay, I didn't know there's, that. And, there's and I know there's two a... and one called Rings, which is the third oh, one. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say because I knew there was a bunch of Japanese ones, like three or four. Yeah. And then... Uh, Several years ago, I think the the author released a, a, an official like sequel book called Rings, and I feel like then they obviously made an adaptation of that as well. Yeah, and I just thought it was I thought it was funny that they made so many adaptations of his works, and then he finally was like, oh, "I'm gonna write another book about it." You know what I mean? So was this? <laughs> I guess they've done like five movies based on my original novel. I might as well write a sequel myself. Was this book? in English or like translated from Japanese? It was translated from Japanese. So oh. it might have even been several years old by the time um it was published in English. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a reminder to follow us on all of our social media at It Slays Podcast. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, soon to be on Tumblr. 
Uh, of course, we're on Spotify and iTunes. And if you're adding us on iTunes, don't forget to leave us an iTunes review. Uh, it doesn't even need to be five star. We appreciate five star. But uh, the most important part is we want to hear from you. So uh, write us a uh, text review in the iTunes app and we will make sure to give you a shout out on the podcast uh every review helps as it bumps us up in the search engine and you know that's what it's all about back to the podcast uh well let's uh let's get into the review you know where we're starting favorite scene exilia you have the floor i'm gonna go with what my favorite okay i had two favorite scenes i want to say what my favorite scenes were back then so one of them obviously is when she like is coming out of the tv i think that's kind of like a classic iconic scene in this movie um and the cindy other... my pussy's leaking i mean the tv's leaking <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> you know, scary movie when she's coming out of the TV and she's like, Cindy, the TV's leaking. But then it got turned into a meme where I do if not. you're, you know, horny, <laughs> you say, Cindy, my pussy's leaking. <laughs> anyway, no, I spent too much time that. online. <laughs> okay. Um. So that was one. The other one that I always like really thought was disturbing when I was a kid was... um. The one with the horse running off of the boat and like smashing itself on the boat and then them running to the other side and seeing like the the red water. I always thought that was really disturbing. Yeah, I have to jump in and say that was also the first time I watched it. Yeah. That was one of the most yeah. memorable things to me. And I remembered it for years afterwards. And upon rewatching it, when I was thinking about like, you know, recording tonight, obviously, I was like, you know, what would my favorite scene have been? It's still that. Yeah. Yeah, um, so. I think there are some standouts, but like, I agree with you. It's, there's something about that scene. It's so horrifically disturbing on a number of levels, but it's also really like well shot and yeah. well structured. Yeah. You know, just anytime a film, not harms an animal, but like, you know, alludes to harm to an animal. Yeah. I feel like it's always a shock because people get... The public gets so viscerally yeah. upset by, and it doesn't matter, like, if it's a dog or a cat or, like, a wild animal. Like, there there are a lot of people that just, when they're watching a movie, if any animal finds any kind of harm, they get, like, horrifically upset and, like, will not watch it. Like, I had a friend who, if an animal got harmed while we were watching a movie, she would just get up and leave. Yeah. I, I find <laughs> and they get very mad at me. If it was something I'd seen before and I made her watch, she would. And so I feel like it was a, it was a really cool scene and it was a really great choice to like like kind of shock and disturb the viewer because especially in North America like you're you're not used to that because it's like oh you know we're gonna really go out of our way to like not upset the audience even if it's a horror movie which is literally meant to upset you so I just thought that was a great scene it was really well shot um horses are fucking freaky and beautiful and just the fact that it doesn't show it like you know the banging inside the boat was really disturbing but it doesn't show anything happened to it it just shows the like blood in the water and I'm like it's such a jaws like blood blossom sort of moment so that was really well done it's every uh, horse girl's worst nightmare exactly exactly everyone knows a horse girl yeah it's true see i feel like my answer is like basic bitch and i mean my favorite scene's the video yeah it, like girl i uh, listen i was gonna say the video but i knew you were gonna choose it I, because yeah you're a basic i mean bitch. i am a basic <laughs> bitch but i mean that was... thing, like i said remember remember how i said i walked out and there was very few little i remembered the two things i always remembered from that movie 
Three. Her coming out of the TV, the video, and the horse part. Yeah. That's all I remember. <laughs> I was like, that was the movie to me for yeah. millions of years with just those three images. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I feel like if you grew up and, you know, in those formative years... In the 2000s, like, the rain video is iconic. Like, I can see a still image. If someone just showed a still image, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's from the rain video. I think it's... It was just as effective this watch as it was when I first saw it. Like, it's a creepy-ass video. It's just fucking bizarre and weird. I think for me, too, with the video, it was the element that, like the whole concept of the movie was that if you watch the video, you're gonna die in seven days and you're watching the video. So there's like the element of the fact that you like shouldn't be. It's actually kind of a brilliant twist on like a Candyman sort of thing because you're if you're watching Candyman and afterwards you're like, oh teehee, like let's yeah. go look in the mirror and say Candyman and you don't want to. But like when you're watching the ring and you're forced by virtue of sitting in the seat watching the movie to watch the video. It's like them pinning you down and going, you have to say Candyman five yeah. <laughs> times while watching this movie, right? Like, Yeah, no, exactly. It's such a great moment, yeah. Kind of my follow-up favorite scene, which Exilly kind of alluded to at the beginning, it is kind of the end, the reveal at the end when they spin the chair around and he's got, like, the horrific face... When I think about the ending of The Rain, I always wonder, like, I feel like that's kind of like the birth of, like, creepy pasta YouTube. That used to be a whole thing, like, scare videos where you just watch something and... You know how there'd be, like, ones that would just be like, oh, this is a video of birds, and then it would be like... And I, I, you mean? <laughs> and I feel like a lot of the times they use the girl from The Rain for that. Like, it'd be, like, yeah. someone dressed up as that. So, yeah, I, like, I, I love the quick glimpses of the, you know, victims that we get, because I think they're super effective in, in Well, the they film. never linger on it. Both, it only shows two of them, and it's, like, a very, it's such a quick cut, like, the only time you'd ever be able to focus on it is, you know, on home video, like on a DVD or, God forbid, a tape, right? And, like, you pause it. Yeah. And it's only ever after the fact. Like, you, it, it always, like, cuts away from them looking at them. And then after you exit the, like, location where they die, it cuts back and then gives you a brief glimpse of their face and that's it. Yeah. So, like, when you're expecting to see a brief glimpse of it, you don't. But then moments later when you think, I'm safe... It gives you that flicker, and it's like, oh, holy fuck, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, and I think you almost explained it really well with the horse scene, where, like, Gore Verbinski executed that kind of Jaws mentality of filmmaking really well in it, where you don't linger on anything. It's not about the gore. Yeah, everything is, is a build-up, yeah. and yeah. it's all about the suspense and getting to the scare, not necessarily the scare itself. Yeah, and then he's going to give you a scare, but it's not going to be what you expect when you expect it. Yeah, yeah it's going to exactly. be just slightly afterwards, just when you're like, oh, okay, I'm breathing now. Oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, like... Another scene I really loved, too, I thought was really beautiful, was when Naomi Watts goes to the cabin, cabin number 12, the first time, and it's, like, very muted colors, except for that tree is so The tree, yes. It's so striking. I've noticed about this, yeah. As, like, an adult, to me, that is a scene that 
I don't even remember from when I had seen it before, but it's like stood out to me. It was gorgeous. I was going to say, I really noticed the tree. I, I really noticed on this watch, which I shouldn't say I noticed. Cause I, when I think about this film, I always think about it, but I guess now that I look at films more critically and, and think about them differently is I forgot how like green lens, like green and blue yeah. colored, this film is yeah. and it's yeah. and it's interesting because you know we're, we're pretty much 20 years you know ahead of this film now and so many other films have like tried to use this exact same palette and this is kind of the first film i can remember watching that had this color palette i was actually thinking about how well this movie would fit into like today's landscape of horror stuff because i feel in the past couple years really rural islandy like not like caribbean tropical island but like rugged like north atlantic islandy stuff has been becoming popular so you have like the lighthouse you have the american horror story season you have like midnight mass and this is basically besides in new york it's set on the sim like in a similar setting yeah yeah i and why do they okay so why is it always that when they're on a place that looks like nova scotia or newfoundland it looks super drab you know what i mean like it's a lot of grays i know and like okay granted the sky is very frequently gray but it's actually that's about it colorful <laughs> places honestly yeah. Because that's not spooky. Yeah, it's not spooky. And here's the thing, like, most locations like that will compensate for the grayness of the sky yeah. with, like... Incredibly bright colors. Very prominent pops of color in yeah. the architecture and, you know, the landscape. Yeah, exactly. Where you can. Yeah. No, it's so funny, but, like, I literally had a note about that. I was like, I actually, you know, and I, I mean, I know you said, like, it was, you know, kind of like a trendsetter and one of the first to kind of use that. But my note, I don't and know I could be wrong first. with this. I, I could be wrong with this. I, I literally said, hang on, now, let me find it. Um, It was just that it would fit in well with. Right. Oh yeah, so I called it a washed out, um, blue, super clean and sterile Terminator-like aesthetic. To me, it looked a okay, lot yeah. like Terminator 2. Not Terminator 1, because Terminator 1 had a much more vibrant neon 80s aesthetic. But then when you moved into Terminator 2, it was the early 90s. And yeah. um, it was very clean and metallic and shiny and blue and sterile. And I found that when I was watching this, I thought it is that very sterile. Not in like, I'm not, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but like it had that hospitally blue, yeah. sh blue and white sheen yeah. to everything. And I remember like when, you know, that, that scene at the end, you know, when she's crawling out of the TV and stuff and like his whole apartment is awash in that, but then, you know, it shows her coming out and she's very much black and white and blue. Cause it's like a staticky TV image. Yeah. Then it shifts over to him and he is like dressed color and like a couple of the things behind them have a little bit of a color pop to it and like it really drove home that most of this movie is that like blue green black white blue so then when you have the tree and stuff that like yeah has and but it's the same thing the video which is of course the most vivid memorable like centerpiece of the movie it's the whole literally the whole point of the movie yeah it's it's done in that aesthetic so i find that like they were using the like vocabulary of the video to inform the like aesthetic of the rest of the movie which i thought was a really cool choice except for those couple of like 
moments. Yeah, so, definitely. you know, brava, or bravo, brava. <laughs> brava, Gore Verbinski. Bravo, brava, brava, everything. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, like, uh, you know, I feel like Samara is kind of, you know, after this came out, I think over time she's kind of been hoisted into, you know, definitely, you know, the the pantheon of creepy children and kids and kids movies and horror films and creepy villains in general. You know who's creepier than her? The Aiden? Movie? The kid. <laughs> the, the, the oh my god, I know. I wrote a note about that. I was like, <laughs> the early 2000s was like the creepy, awkward kid boom. Yeah. <laughs> Like, every horror movie and every thriller of any kind over, like, the early 2000s always had a creepy, awkward, weird-looking, gangly kid. Yeah. I I actually wrote, I love this boy. I hope my kid's like that. Oh, he was great, and he was really good. Honestly, (laughs) like, in a movie where, like, the lead is Naomi Watts, the fact that he like matched her i don't know what this kid has been in since he's grown up but like i looked I it up check not, it out because not much like, i think he, he has was like good he's he really he like stayed toe to toe with naomi watts and that's yeah. saying something because that bitch is a legend yeah i looked it up like i think he's been in like eight films like i'm pretty sure he stopped acting he was in apparently the one of the texas chainsaw massacre reboots Oh my god, I don't even know which one that was because there have been like eight. I I feel like it was the first reboot that they did there in the 2000s. (gasps) With Jesse Beale? Which would make sense because that would have been like a little after this A few years after this, yeah. Yeah, I got a a question for you. So we kind of get all that exposition uh, towards the beginning after the cousin dies and uh, Naomi Watts goes to the funeral and is talking to her sis is it her sister okay, or something is this yes the one yeah about- well my question is so the sister's talking about like oh i looked into it okay no no, no i t- have the same note no, no teenager's heart has <laughs> ever stopped my- ever just stopped i was like shouldn't she fucking like look up why her face looks like that like she only looked up why her heart just randomly stopped is that what you're gonna say no oh. my <laughs> thing was i refuse to believe <laughs> okay. that no one in the world young person ever's heart stopped no just okay like first of all i know it was 2002 but they still had google and there was still a wealth of information on the internet and you could easily find out that literally there's like i'm sure 25 heart conditions where someone who's eight's heart can just stop i know several people growing up with who had heart conditions where they literally could have dropped dead at any moment. So did they have, maybe that's just cause I live in Newfoundland, but you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the highest rate of like heart conditions. Cause it's all salt. They, they I, use I Google used Ask Jeeves when I was in 2002. You're the only person ask I've ever Jeeves. heard of that has used Why would you Jeeves? ever ask Jeeves anything? Because that's what my dad had on the computer. Ask, <laughs> ask, ask Jeeves. He didn't even have Netscape. He used Ask Jeeves. Well, uh, to look up questions. Ask Jeeves is the I mean, every 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 <laughs> search engine search is a question. Yeah, there is but no that's there is no yeah. use of a search engine that isn't a question. Even no, if you're I, just looking for an image, you're like, what does this look like? But I'm just saying, like, other than like typing in www.whatever.com, it was like you went to Ask Jeeves. I'm telling you. No <laughs> one went. I'm gonna I listen, I'm gonna well, fight you here right dead. now. Because I don't know. 
what the fuck you're talking about with this Ask Jeeves bullshit. I visited Ask Jeeves like three times in my life, and that was like... It was a search As a fucking joke. I was memeing. I was the first (laughs) memer. I memed by asking Jeeves. I was like, hey Jeeves, like, why is your mom a slut? Oh my god. No, it was a search engine. Talking that shit to Ask Jeeves. I'm looking up because girl, was only look up who powered was... Ask Jeeves. Google I bet you ten bucks was... it was something that went under in like 2000 and yeah, but Google well, when did this come out? 2002. I bet you Ask Jeeves went under in 2001. No, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna research this now. I will say, uh, you know, hey everybody, stay tuned for the um, movie house horror minisode where we bitch next week about. Ask Jeeves and its origins. (laughs) Okay, I'm telling you right here, I'm on the Wikipedia page for Google, and I'm telling you in 2002, Google was not, it was invented, but it wasn't a thing that you used. Okay. But like, you know what I used or didn't use? Because I'm just, because you probably used Netscape with a fucking, I don't even know. You were on like Google, you Yahoo Answers or fucking AOL. I mean, how dare you? I always Netscaped until Google, okay? (laughs) Netscape. Keeping Yahoo Answers is still better than Ask Jeeves. I'm looking up Ask Jeeves. I was going to say, when I was no, watching... No, hang on. No, bro, I got to stop you there. Because I will say right now, What's Ask Jeeves question? was, like, horrifically classist because it was, like, enslaving the search engine to your needs. Oh, my God. <laughs> it lasted roughly until 2005 when it was rebranded as Ask.com. Yes, because asking Jeeves is a classist construction of a search it is, engine. It is. <laughs> this is this is a terrible conversation. This question. So one of the main questions. You know how when you Google something and it's like commonly asked questions, is Jeeves dead? That's one of the questions. You know who probably asked that? Some idiot that used AskJeeves.com in their life. I don't know. That's what my dad had on the computer. I don't know. One thing my dad didn't let me do is use ICQ. And then I had to use the ICQ light. We, this really has turned into a <laughs> p- podcast about the rain and to exilia venting about her childhood. Okay, go ahead. I wanted to bring up also about childhoods that as I was watching this, I was thinking about, you know, teenagers and adults and kids are putting in these videotapes that maybe they think one thing turns out to be this tape that kills you. Actually kind of made me think about a similar experience me and Exilia had where we were at her house and we were trying to watch videos and then we opened a video that we thought was one thing. But really, it was a porn called Ass Man. That was on the computer. Yeah, I'm saying. (laughs) It was a real ring situation for us. In fact, the video may have been... Oh, yeah, I think it was like labeled something else. It may have been more horrific Well, you don't label your videos like, like, Cocksuckers 2000, you know. My dad did. Whatever. He just left the download. You called it like, Family... Vacation that 2001. Like <laughs> that sounds like someone that would definitely go to jail for something. <laughs> would name their ass man porno <laughs> family, family vacation. <laughs> Listen, you had to try to be discreet. Am I right? Am I right? You just put them into like hidden folder. Or okay, not folder. something like that. You'd at least call it like, I don't know. Oh my God. Something innocuous like <laughs> PBS Pledge Drive 2000 or something. <laughs> 
around this. Anne of Green Gable, complete Anne of Green Gables oh miniseries. Exactly, definitely would have clicked that. <laughs> I would have clicked it. Around this time, a movie, or a music, um, a music, a song, a song came out called Ballin' Is My Hobby. And it was like, Ballin' Is My Hobby, Ballin', ballin Is My Hobby. And um, my parents, like, took me and Rowan aside and we're like, we saw on the computer there's this song called Ballin' Is My Hobby. What does that mean? <laughs> like, it's about sex. And we're like, what are you talking about? They thought Ballin' was sex. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> they wouldn't believe me. And then you're like, we've seen ass, man. <laughs> yeah. Listen, back to the ring. Okay, back to the ring. All I thought about when I watched this is, is this not the precursor to our all-time favorite movie, It Follows? I was like, there's so much inspiration that there's no No, it's so funny. I said the same thing. I was like, it's very much a thinner It Follows past the curse on sort of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of like the grotesque deaths that you don't yeah. overly see. Yeah. Even like there's a little bit of the same coloring going on yeah. in some of the stuff. I didn't draw that parallel, but it makes sense. So I'm really convinced that he, you know, had to be influenced by the rain, which I mean is a topic we should definitely touch on in of, of itself of, I mean, this is probably like, if I think of like juggernaut horror movies of the 2000s, yeah, it's, it like this huge. is it. This it has huge. to be it. Is there. I feel like there's others, but this was. Well, a I mean, huge and this is one. funny because this was kind of an anomaly because I feel like I could be wrong again, but like I feel like this was the weird Venn diagram overlap because we're, you know, you're coming out in the early 2000s, you've like kind of done that like 90s slasher revival thing yeah. where there was a few slasher revivals that were like really critically acclaimed like you know scream and everything and then by the time you get to this i feel like critics were like okay enough of this horror shit i feel like so i feel like this was kind of like was. the venn diagram overlap of like blockbuster horror with something that was really arty and like very well done and you know very like aesthetically pleasing with like really good acting and stuff that critics really liked too so i feel like it was very um you know it was very much a like a dark horse if you will <laughs> i oh ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I feel like around this time too, psychological horror, psychological thriller was like a big genre. Oh, for sure, yeah. I always have considered this movie that. Really? Yeah. And now, yeah, because maybe... I mean, like this is this is one of those that's like a supernatural movie, but it's also about like you said, paranoia and like yeah. like suspense and stuff. Yeah. It, well, and I was gonna say like when I was talking about like being such a juggernaut, I thought it was interesting because you know I, I feel whenever someone watches this. The first thing I ever think about when I think of the rain, the first thing that comes in my mind is The Grudge. Because it was out at pretty much the same time, though. So, I mean, when and I looked at this was the, the Vogue, the, like, Vogue five years of... This came out before Jay The Vogue. Grudge. I know, you've never seen The Grudge, though. Yeah, I've never seen The Grudge. Oh, hang on, girls, hang on. Besides Wasn't the fact- Amber Tamblin in both this one and The Grudge remake? Was she in The Grudge? Was she in the garage, or am I thinking of somebody else? And I think you're thinking about because this. my very first note for this movie was Amber Tamblin for exclamation points because I love well, her. Maybe I think too, like the Grudge came out around the same time. They were both like Japanese, like based on Japanese films. They have both had kids that were like 
black and white. But past that, well, I mean, in po- I guess I had they a both had bond. wonderful blonde girls that oh, we love yes. in them. <laughs> and in, I mean, definitely they got crossed in popular culture because I mean, it was only like a year or two ago that Japan was made like a King Kong versus Godzilla movie that was. Samara and the kid from the grudge and it was them versus each other I think they just have like intrinsic links but mostly because of they're both based on Japanese movies and they both were like the same vibe and came out around each other yeah okay I'm not sure why I thought that Amber Tamblin was in the grudge she isn't so uh, carry on but isn't Sarah Michelle Gellar really the only big person in that uh Clea Duvall how dare you sorry jeez <laughs> but yeah no and I mean when you look on the Wikipedia it's kind of interesting to see the doors that it opened because like on the Wikipedia page for the rain it talks about because of the success of this you get the grudge dark water dark water Shutter. I was thinking that too another water based Japanese horror remake yeah Shudder and the eye uh, none of which I think did as well as this I mean the grudge did fairly well I mean, that the got grudge sequels was like massive yeah. but uh yeah, like it basically, once this came out, everyone's like, we're hitting Japan for anything horror they have, yeah. and we are Well, yeah, this it. this literally started that like five, six year wave of J-horror remakes. Yeah. Japan was Like you, you can shit. literally pinpoint it to this one movie, and it was because, again, it was the f- really like one of the first of its kind, and it was so well done. Yeah. Right? Like it was so well acted, it was well written, that direction is insane, the aesthetic is great, the cinema cinematography everything about it was so good so even when they like the grudge was great and you know you look at something like dark water like where you have fucking oscar winner jennifer connelly icon legend queen but like none of those come close to the artistry of this because you know really it's all kind of like they're all catch-ins in a way yeah oh yeah even when they're well done they're not as well done because this was like lightning in a bottle that they were like we need to capture this over and over a big thing i noticed watching it this time too is i never realized that this movie is two hours long which, at first, when I saw that, I was kind of worried. It's kind of long for a horror movie. Well, and I was like, ah, oh, it's like a blockbuster horror movie. And watching it this time, like, before I sat down and watched it, because, like I said, I haven't seen it since it came out around Yeah, and this is time. before all the fucking Marvel movies where everything, the standard now for a big Hollywood movie is, like, to be five fucking hours so long. long. But I thought like the pacing was good. I thought the pacing was really good. It's I didn't brilliant. Re- I literally I was I'm not gonna lie, I was not looking forward to rewatching this based on the length alone. And I I feel like and I've been very tired this last week from working early in the morning. And so when I sat down to watch this, I was not looking forward to it being that long. And I, it it was over before I knew it. Like it's yeah. so well paced. Yeah, like I I didn't fall asleep once. Exilia no, <laughs> that's that right there. The that, meter. that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is the true test. Yeah. If Exilia does not fall asleep, but I mean that's movie. that's a gift in and of itself. Because I mean, as we you know, we usually always talk about pacing when we review movies, and there's a lot of movies we review that are like an hour and twenty minutes that we're like, this pacing's terrible. It's yeah. long, yeah. and for this to be able to go pretty much two hours, you know, to me, I was like, I probably wouldn't noticed an extra half hour tacked on to it like mm-hmm. i i was interested in everything that was going on i was just enjoying the journey 
in the ride there. I think it was the perfect length. I think if they had about it more time, like a half hour, I think then you would start noticing like the pacing being off. But yeah. I can't picture the movie being under two hours because there was a lot to unpack. There's a lot of plot. And frankly, yeah. even in two hours, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Okay, I have, I do, and speaking of unanswered questions, maybe I missed it or, so Cabin 12, I don't remember the cabin number from when I had seen it in the past, but that doesn't have, the number 12 doesn't have any significance, does it? I don't think. But I feel like that's a missed opportunity. A missed opportunity. Um. Okay, so one point that I did want to mention that I thought was like so interesting about this movie was the use of horses, which, you know, we were talking about earlier, obviously, with two of our favorite scene being that horse scene and the fact that obviously horses were a motif. It's like, it's kind of like the Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Which is obviously a very important image in the Silence of the Lambs, except it's like the noise of the horses. <laughs> you could call the ring the noise, the noises of the horses and it would totally like fit. Um, anyway, but like I thought the fact that horses were so prominent in the video and in Samara's like story slash memories but also in that, like, horrifically traumatizing slash scary slash really cool scene on the boat because horses are generally speaking like an animal that like I guess symbolically and like culturally is um something that's like like horses like heal you you know they're like a healing animal and like a, an animal that yeah. you bond and it like calms you and stuff and I guess it's like kind of like why there's like horse girls but it also has this air of like privilege and um you know if you're a horse girl if you have horses it like yes it's a, it gives you like kind of like a certain um status or whatever but like i love how this totally undermines that and it's like the horses in this are like tied with her you know trauma and with all this horrific shit that's happening but then that scene on the um ferry especially with the horse just horses are usually so calm and shit so when yeah. they start freaking the fuck out yeah it's so scary and so yeah. traumatizing well, I was like, and when that horse like just literally looks like it's gonna harm a human and then yeah. you know like that's really really scary and then when it jumps over the edge you know bangs against the side of the boat and goes under and stuff it's it's so horrific that's why that scene to me is so memorable because like in my mind i just feel like horses are for healing and they're calming and they're like a friend to like horse girls everywhere and <laughs> you know like but there is like like horses do have that like kind of like it's about healing and, like, bonding and, you know, stuff like that. So, like, to me, the use of horses... Horses are not wolves. Like, wolves, you do not think about that. Like, horses have a very specific connotation. And I love that they played that up. Not... Like, it's not... The horses are not horrifically scary in themselves. But the use of the image of a horse yeah. is very unsettling through the whole movie. It kind of continually, to me, created moments of unease throughout the movie that like you can't call them like oh maybe they're, you might not like really find them scary but like to me it makes my skin crawl and it's like really uneasy i don't know if you guys felt that way i've never seen a horse that just like freaks out so quickly but also see like me either and i grew up like many of my family have farms like out in the country and i i spent all of my vacations and shit like on farms when I was growing up, I rode, not, I did, wasn't like a horse rider, but like I would go and get on their horses all the time. And I was around horses all the time and I never saw them freak out like this. If you like, if you approach a horse and they freak out, you should just leave them alone. <laughs> and she Exactly. See, and I feel like, I feel like that's another thing about, like, I feel like horses are like kind of in tune to like, yeah. 
a yes. vibe or energy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you if you're having trouble with your horse, call Mike the horse girl. The horse girl. Oh, listen, I'm not my friend Emily. She is a horse girl. <laughs> she says she hates horses, but we know she loves them. <laughs> so I had two questions, kind of in the same vein of each other. So if you were Naomi Watts and your niece died because of this video, and you like were at the point of investigation that you believed it, would you destroy the video? She did eventually. eventually. Yeah, but not yeah, not until the very end. Yeah, when it was so clear that the video was like conduit of like evil. Basically, like would you sacrifice yourself? Because she's already. You have to have seen the video in order for her to want to investigate. I know, but would you destroy it so other people couldn't see it? Okay, so what you're saying is, would you destroy it and sacrifice yourself? Yeah, and then my and other that actually ties is, into one of my notes. I'm actually glad else. you asked that. That's a really good question. The other and the other part of it was, would you show it to someone else? Okay, yes, yeah, so that's literally like my last note, which you know I like triple starred, which was you know the whole conceit of like like thinner and stuff like that, obviously. Would you, it's like a philosophical moral conundrum. Yeah. Would you, would you say this ends with me or would you say I'm going to save both myself and my loved ones, not just my family. Yeah. By passing it on to somebody else. Again, like it follows. And who would you choose? Would you choose somebody that wronged you? Would you choose some random person who maybe like is outcast from society, like a homeless person or something? And I think Kinda that's like such a good it question. Follows. Like, remember he like handed it off to the sex worker? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you have these people who are on the fringes. It's like, wh- and I kept thinking about that now. And I never thought about that obviously back in the day when I was a youngster and I watched this movie because that like- that that didn't occur to me. But then it's like it, it, the question then becomes who's Life are you going to devalue to elevate yours or your loved ones? I think, like, you know, handing it off to someone who, because of, like, their status in society and that it's, like, not a high status is, like, morally reprehensible. Absolutely. It's like, why why are you as a blonde, privileged, well-off white lady and your privileged, well-off child, like, and I mean, they don't show this at the end because they cut it off, which I did enjoy. I did enjoy that they didn't show who or what, you know, they did after this. I mean, I don't know what happened in the sequel, but, you know, it's that was why that was one of the things about It Follows that even when we recorded didn't bother me as much as it does now was that this poor person that they decided if this is who I'm going to give this to, who has no concept of what they're getting into and can't hand it off to somebody else themselves. Yeah. Like you're saying your life is worth less than mine. Yeah, exactly. You know, because you are a sex worker or you are below me on the, like, social rung. And it's, like, so disturbing, but it's this, like, to me, it's one of the more interesting questions of this movie and of that movie. You know, it's, like, it's actually, absolutely this, like, moral, um, challenge. Yeah, it's a conundrum. I think I would I wouldn't be able to do it, honestly. I would, I would, I couldn't, I would 100% destroy the tape and say this ends here. Yeah, same. I feel like the issue is that I feel like most people that would pass it on would pass it on before they realize it's real. That is a problem. Because I feel like it's like, oh yeah, a tape that kills you. And then like, you tell someone about it and they're like, oh, I want to see this tape. Kind of like the guy in the movie. Yeah, like doesn't believe it. So, but I mean, if 
if you could make sure no one would watch it, I, I'd like to think that I wouldn't pass it on. I feel like those are like hard things, you know, but if it's real, yeah. would you actually make that choice? Yes. Everyone says I they would. wouldn't. I would. But, would, you know, when push comes to shove and you know yeah, you're it's, it's a, But then, you yeah, exactly. You have this also, it's a, it's... It's fight or flight. It's, you know, self-preservation. I, I would. You would. I w- like, I wouldn't pass it on. Now, you'd just do it because then you figured you'd get out of watching any movie Mike ever picks again. <laughs> yep. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's go to our final question is, is it unsettling? Uh, we'll start with Mike this time. I feel like when I first watched it, I found it fairly unsettling especially since like the video and stuff like that and there were moments in it that you know at the time you know whatever that was like almost 20 years ago you know it was and i hadn't obviously seen you know like a lot of japanese horror and stuff so i'd never certainly seen the original that were unsettling i never found it like a scary movie per se but i found the video i found the the avant-garde imagery of it a bit unsettling and i found moments in it unsettling like I said, like the horse thing, because even then I kind of like knew horses to me were like an image of comfort and freedom. And it became an image of like kind of terror and oppression in this. So I thought that was like really well done. But other than brief moments throughout the movie, I found that um it wasn't. And I don't know. And again, I haven't seen, I still haven't seen, and I'm going to remedy that, by the way, after this episode, I will be watching the original. Um, I haven't seen the original, like, Ringu movie. I so I don't know how much they sanitized it down. But I feel like outside of those moments of creepiness, that it was a little too sterile to be, like, a scary movie. But I still appreciate yeah. it. Like, I feel like the artistry is there and, like, there's great acting and great cinematography and stuff. And I feel like for a blockbuster horror movie, it's well done. But I just feel like outside of those few moments, and it's two hours long, as we were saying, it's a long movie. So for the fact that there's only those few flickering brief couple of minutes where you feel that kind of dread and unease, it's not enough. So, not really. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the same. Like, I can't really remember if I... Th- I probably didn't think this was scary when I first saw it. But I think for, like, a, a blockbuster popcorn flick, like, I think it, I think you hit the nail on the head. Was that it looks awesome. And it is. It, it is a pretty well-done movie. But I wouldn't necessarily say it's unsettling. Um, yeah. So, I think, like, back when I first saw it, I definitely thought it was unsettling. And and like a little bit disturbing but yeah now no i i don't either horror hounds do you guys like horror music i like horror music exilia likes horror music we know mike definitely loves horror music so if you love horror music like we do uh join us on spotify uh we have a playlist up called the it slays podcast horrific playlist We have some of our favorite tasty jams from some of our favorite horror movies, uh, and we're always consistently adding to the list. And let us know. You can uh, email us or Facebook or Instagram us and let us know if there's anything we should add to the playlist. All right, well, uh, if we are all comfortable, we will go into rating it for anyone that is a new listener. So our rating system is nay, okay, yay, or slay. Uh, Exilia, we will allow you to go first. I'm going to give it a yay because I think it's one of those 
just it's an iconic movie for North America at that point in time I think it holds up till now like it's still a good movie it's beautiful Naomi Watt is great her son is creepy as fuck like I, I would say I don't I wouldn't want to give it an okay it's a yay. I think everybody should see the movie. All right. Uh, how about you, Mike? You know what? I'm going to agree. I was sort of torn because, again, like I said, I didn't find it as, like, kind of creepy as, like, maybe I did when it first came out. But at the same time, I do, I look at it and go, of all of that huge swath of, like, Asian horror remakes that happened yeah. in, like, even 10 years time around that period. It was, like, one of the first, and I think still the best. I think the artistry that happened in this movie was, like, way above par, and I feel like that's why, you know, he ended up, like, getting a lot of, like, really high-profile gigs after this because of this movie, because it was so well done, and I feel like, you know, he got a lot of, like, really talented people kind of at the beginning of the, like, ascent of their career, like Amber Tamblyn and Naomi Watts and all sorts of other people, Adam Brody, hello, always, you're always lucky to get Adam Brody in your movies, <laughs> but I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's, um, it's a yay, it's not a slay, because, you know, I still don't think, you know, the last almost 20 years, like, I feel like it's still, it's gonna be, like, a footnote blockbuster-wise, but, like, I feel like it, it started a trend and it was the best of its trend yeah. and it was well done. And even though I wasn't like scared shitless by it or anything, I still feel like, damn, this was like a really good example of like blockbuster horror filmmaking in the early 2000s. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it definitely like, it's not a sleigh, but it's definitely a yay. I would give it way more than an okay. It's interesting now that I think about it too, because like this came out before the OC. Yeah. Early Adam Brody. So it would have been like, he probably was in like nothing. Thing, pretty much at this point yeah t number one hello yeah yeah exactly uh and i'm also gonna give it a yay uh you know i i try to you know i almost thought about giving it a slay because i was like slay is kind of like just stuff that's like timeless classic and, and i kind of brought up before when i think of 2000s that time period like i think for the decade it was like the movie but i think because I don't think it holds up scare wise. Yeah, exactly. Like Mike said, it's a beautiful movie. Like it's really well done for a blockbuster. Yeah, it just I feel like that yay to slay. It's it's kind of like it's just something special that takes it over the goalpost there. And I don't think this necessarily has it. But I agree with everything you guys said. So I mean, I think three yays is definitely <laughs> good. good for this. So next, let's. Let's get into the budget game. I know how much it costs and how much it made. And Exilia and Mike, as always, fight to the death. To the death. To the death. To figure you out. You hear that? <laughs> One of us is going to die. <laughs> uh, the loser has to watch uh, the videotape. So. Already seen it. Joke's on you, we both saw it already. So we will start with what it cost. And Exilia, we'll start with you. I would say like twenty million dollars. Twenty million. How about you, Mike? Um, honestly, I'm gonna say obviously because like the people that are well known in this, it was still like kind of when they were on their ascent, so they would definitely not be like a list blockbuster material, and neither would he. I'm gonna say I know this is a cop out, but I'm gonna say fifty to sixty million, like that kind of 
area, that family. Because I feel like they were given, like, a budget and it was a big Hollywood movie, but also they were all still relatively unknown. So I feel like they were all doing their best to work within a budget and make it look spectacular so that they would all knock it out of the park and it would make a million dollars. A mere... And by a million dollars, I mean like a hundred million dollars. I was going to say, a mere 50 to 60 million. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, shut up. (laughs) You know what I mean. (laughs) So Michael, take it. Uh, It cost $48 million to make. So a, a modest budget. I mean, it was like a blockbuster, you know, movie. It was a... A big, bigger budget horror film. Uh, so let's talk about what it made. We'll start with you, Mike. What do you think it made? I'm going to say 190,000. 190 million, sorry. <laughs> Not 190. It only made $190,000. It was a flop. <laughs> flop era, 2002. <laughs> the ring. How about you, Exilia? I think 139 million. All right, so... For the sweep. Oh my goodness. Ex- not Exilia will take it. I was going <laughs> to say Exilia will take it. I'm so used to Exilia taking it. Mike. <laughs> Mike will take it. So I, it- I, I would like to thank the Academy. This has never happened before. <laughs> so it made $249.4 nice. million. Dollars. So this was like wow, that's a, lot. a smash That is hit. a lot, yeah. Definitely made the budget back by a lot. And I mean, it spawned two sequels i mean interesting enough and a whole genre of movie j-horror a a whole genre but interesting enough like the the third sequel or the i guess the second sequel that came out in 2017 so it's fairly that explains why i didn't know i knew there was a ring two that came out a couple years afterwards but like i had no idea there was a third one (laughs) so but i mean it definitely made enough money uh to get the second one I'm going to guess the second one probably didn't make a lot of money. And I'm thinking the third one was probably kind of fan service where this has kind of been, you know, the horror movie that 2000s teenagers and kids hold up as like the movie. Mm -hmm. So they just kind of revisited, I would imagine. (laughs) Hey, are you interested in becoming a horror hound? Then join us at www.patreon.com slash podcast. And uh, check out everything we have to offer. We have uh, cool things from podcast shoutouts to picking movies all the way to uh, maybe getting yourself a free t-shirt. So uh, if you're interested in joining us and becoming a horror hound, join us at patreon.com slash podcast. So that is the budget game, and all that is left is for us to announce our next movie for our next week of Oct Horror Fest. Hopefully you guys are just like us watching horror movies every day. Remember to use the hashtag Oct Horror Fest, and uh, we're going to make sure at the end of the month... We'll pick someone that's used it and they get a giveaway. All the sweet uh, DVDs that you'll be able to see on all our social media. So our next film, we are doing the, you know, hailed as a horror classic. Probably in like the top five 
horror films of all time, possibly. The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I don't think Exilia has ever seen. I've never seen the original one, no. So I think that is everything. As always, thank you for all the support, and we will be back next episode. This is your humble host, Rowan. Bye, it's Exilia. Thanks, it's Mike. See you later. We're going to expand our weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store. Back where it says horror videos and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the video nasties. Are you freebasing? Inquiring minds want to know. I have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick encrustations dying on the surface. What the prime time gets. Pain, I can assure you, will be exquisite. As for our deaths, come with me and be immortal. We have such sights to show you. We've got to return some videotapes.